Good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for coming. We will continue with our discussion of the 90th Anachete of Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha, entering more deeply into an understanding of the achinta or inconceivable nature of this Maya Shakti. On one hand, how it's coming from the Lord, but it doesn't affect Him. And on the other hand, how we're coming from the Lord and it does affect us. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a quandary. <laughs> so we're trying to get to the heart of the matter and I believe we will get a little closer this evening. A quick review. Earlier Anachetas, Srila Jiva Goswami has presented uh, questions that Vidura placed before Maitreya in relation to this exact subject from the third canto of the Bhagavatam, seventh chapter. Uh, Vidura asked these questions, and I'm going to repeat them just to get us in the right frame of mind. O Brahmana, how can Bhagavan, who is consciousness alone, immutable and free of the gunas, become involved with the gunas and functions, even as a matter of cosmic play? He goes on, the next verse is about how a child is impelled to play, a child is impelled to play out of his own desire, and due to the another child's wish for him to play. But how can this be so for Bhagavan, who is fully satisfied in his own self, and even detached from any other thing? I'm sorry, it should have been ever detached. He goes on in his inquiry. Through his own maya, Consisting of the three gunas, Bhagavan evolved the universe. Through her, he regulates it and shall cover it up once again. How can that entity, the jiva, who is intrinsic of the nature of consciousness that is ever obscured, never obscured, I'm sorry, by space, time, or circumstance, either by itself or through any other cause, be associated with the unborn Maya. One final question from Vidura. This Bhagavan, who is one alone, exists in all fields. How then can that one, the Jiva, experience misfortune and distress as a consequence of conditional action, karma? So Maitreya, next Jiva Goswami, goes on in his 90th Anacheta, which is where we are now, which is a very extensive Anacheta, as you can imagine. And he begins the Anacheta by quoting Maitreya's first response. There's actually three verses wherein these inquiries by Vidura are answered by Maitreya. So his first response is in relationship to the Jiva. Such is Bhagavan's extrinsic potency, Maya, the Lord's external energy, Maya, which contradicts all logic. For due to its influence, the living entity, who by nature is a ruler and liberated, experiences impoverishment and bondage. We left off in the last discussion by, as Jiva developed his response, developed this response from Maitreya in a, in a way that we could understand it, he went to another section of the Bhagavatam. He went to a section of the Bhagavatam wherein the demigods are praying to the Lord 
to make sure that the outcome of the upcoming confrontation created by Indra's offense to a Brahmin, resulting in the manifestation of this huge, gigantic, uncontrollable demoniac force, Ritrasura, was starting to influence them. So they're trying to get a handle on things. And there's a lot involved in this Leela. They bring out all kinds of mantras, the Narayan Kavacha. I mean, they try to set Indra up to be victorious. Interesting enough, Ritrasura himself wants Indra to be victorious, but they're not really certain of that. These prayers by the demigods bring out some of the mystery of this impoverishment of the jiva by maya, a jiva which is itself pure and unadulterated, but appears to be continually conditioned by the modes of material nature. So in these prayers, the demigods bring out a lot of this this underlying theology. And Jiva Goswami draws from these prayers in developing his response to the Anacheda. And his, not response, his presentation of the Anacheda, which is a comprehensive response to these initial questions introduced by Vidura to Maitreya. So in the last discussion, we talked about the pastime a little bit of how the demigods were in this situation. So now this evening, we're going to begin by going over those verses that the demigods placed before the Lord at the time of their distress. So this begins, this is from the sixth canto, the sixth skanda, the Bhagavat Purana, ninth chapter, the demigods say the following. It is difficult to understand that you, though engaged in pastimes in the spiritual world, without a material shelter, without actions in the material body, without the assistance of the devatas, and without material gunas, difficult to understand how without all those things, you create, maintain, and destroy the universe made of gunas. Nobody else in the material manifestation can accomplish anything without drawing from the resources of the material energy. That's not our experience. It's amazing how you can create, maintain, and destroy the universe. You don't even ask for our help. The other living entities, they can't accomplish anything unless we are personally facilitating the operation of their senses. They can't see, they can't hear, they can't smell. I mean, we're there all every step along the way. And, and you come along and create the whole thing and you create our positions and you create the whole material manifestation, you don't ask for our help. You don't even need the gunas' help. You create the gunas. You create the universe. You maintain it. You destroy it. 
and you do that all by yourself. That's amazing. It's truly an amazing feat from our perspective. I mean, and I think this mysteries, these kind of, these kind of, we have to think about these things deeply. What the demigods are saying, what these prayers bring out. It is amazing that our experience, we have no experience of anybody accomplishing anything without the help of somebody else. We can't get through a day without tons of help. We need help getting up. We need help doing everything. We need help maintaining our body. We can't even, I mean, we're helpless, basically. We're helped every step along the way. So, how is this? They begin their prayers. Without transformation of your swarup. And you do this all without it affecting your own inherent nature. You create, you maintain, you destroy. That's also pretty amazing. When we involve ourselves, we're in hook, line, and sinker to accomplish anything. The Lord's just doing this. It's a very, it's like, it's like, oh, you're just creating, maintaining, and destroying offhand. You're not really involved in such a way that you're, you're, you're really affected in any way. You're surup, your intrinsic nature. That's not our experience. If we invest ourselves in something, in order to accomplish it, in order to establish a relationship, in order to uh, accumulate something, whatever we want to do, we have to put our our head and our heart into it in order for it to come out successfully. But the Lord is doing this creation, maintenance, and dissent, and, and dissolution, and it's like it doesn't. It's it's. It, He's not investing his swarup, his swarup shakti. He's not investing, investing like we have to invest. So the demigods again, they're investors. They have an investment in maintaining their positions and doing their service for his pleasure in the in the in the heavenly realm and and uh, extending their influence to every living entity within the universe so that we can see and we can hear and we can smell, taste, touch. We can move from one place to another. I mean, there's demigods involved with all that. If we knew how many strings were attached, I mean, there is actually a string theory in the universe. <laughs> and the string theory is we're controlled at every step. We think all these things are just happening just just happening. We take it all for granted. But if Surya, the sun god, decided to turn off the sun, we wouldn't be seeing anything. It wouldn't be there. And we could go through all the demigods and, and, and talk about what, what their positions are in relationship to our existence. And any one of them at any time could could end our existence. We need the the sunlight, and we need the air, and we need the water. I mean, daily, we're daily beggars at the at the feet of the demigods, and some of us are some 
section of human society, some cultures are intelligent enough to recognize that and reciprocate in kind. That's Those cultures are pretty few and far between in this age of mankind. We do take things for granted generally in Kali Yuga and our despicable position speaks to that negligence on our part. Though you are also the material elements and you do this all out of your very being. So a couple things. I've taken uh, these uh, translations from the uh, Bhagavatam presented by Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur as translated by Banu Swami. It's funny that we have to say all those things in this day and age now. <laughs> uh, but there's a couple things in his commentaries that I'll bring out and we'll go through these verses uh, rather quickly. It is easy to understand for intelligent devotees, but difficult to understand for others. This mystery of how this is happening. Though you are the material cause of the universe, Atmana, you are without transformation. We understand that. But it is astonishing if one does not accept Vivartavad. need to read another sentence in there. Though you are the material cause of the universe, you are without transformation. If one accepts Vivartavad, then it is not astonishing that you are without transformation. Vishwanath says in his comment, if you accept Vivartavad, that's fine. We can, it's easy to accept that the Lord is not affected by the material creation if, if that's your philosophy regarding the material creation. The philosophy of it's an illusion. So, God's not really invested. So, this, this kind of an understanding is not difficult for them since the transformations are an illusion. But it is astonishing if one does not accept the Vartavad. The demigods continue in the next verse. We do not know whether you accept results of pious or sinful actions like any ordinary devata fallen in the material ocean, or whether you, Atmarama, tranquil and complete in your spiritual powers, remain a neutral witness, not accepting happiness and distress at all. These are the demigods talking, and they're, we don't know what's going on. You're here, and when you do come and you, you do... Uh, conduct yourself, you do conduct Leela in the material realm, it's hard for us to really enter into the mysteries of this, these various Leelas that you conduct. Are you really affected or are you not affected? It appears that you're affected. It appears that you're involved in the material world in all your various descents. It appears like you, as Varaha, fought with Hiranyaksha. It appears like you defeated him. It appears like you were fighting. 
It really did look like you were fighting. Were you fighting or were you not fighting? Now we know when we're here as demigods doing our service, we're involved. And we our involvement brings about a result. But you're fully transcendental, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, but th do these things affect you in any way when you enact these leelas? So this is their next inquiry. Are you just a neutral witness or do you actually enjoy or feel distress from your actions within the material realm is what they're asking. Or do you, possessing your undeviating chit shakti, remain as the neutral witness not accepting happiness and distress? We do not know the truth. It's the way Vishnu, Vishwanath mentions it in his commentary. We do not know the truth of this. The demigods continue in the next verse, 36. These two conditions seen in you are not a contradiction. That is impossible for you. What is impossible for you who are Bhagavan, full of six qualities, full of, of unlimited qualities, the supreme controllers whose glories cannot be understood by the non-devotee? who are beyond the arguments of stubborn philosophers who hearts are, whose hearts are disturbed by deliberating on scriptures without touching the truth, through speculation, conjecture, judgment, and false proofs. You are beyond all material qualities. You are pure spirit, but you screen yourself from view by your yoga maya. Through, though you possess only one form, nothing is impossible for you. So we are now getting to a point where we want to look a little bit more comprehensively and Vishwanath's commentary here will really bring us to that understanding. So we're going to go over it in detail. This verse reconciles the contradictory nature in the Lord according to the devotee's perspective. Viroda means contradiction. There is no contradiction of your being Atmarama and experiencing happiness and distress. It is not proper to speculate about you by comparison with others since you possess inconceivable powers. First two phrases explain the happiness and distress in the Lord. Then Vishwanath quotes the famous verse extolling these qualities in the Supreme Lord. Wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, and renunciation. Uh, Janashakti, Bilashwarya, Virya Janmashya, Sesita, Bhagavat Chabda, Vachani, Vina, Heyar, Gunadibi. The word Bhagavan means to be endowed with unlimited knowledge, sense power, bodily strength, power of control, influence, and beauty without inferior gunas. Vishnu Purana. It should be understand that, understood, Vishwanath continues, you have no material happiness and distress at all, 
which arise from ignorance since you are fully endowed with those six qualities. So, it's not that the Lord may not experience something in relationship with his actions within the material realm, but his experience is not like our experience. It's not a material experience. It's not, a, it's not coming from the gunas. He's self-satisfied. So it's not, as Vishwanath says here, it is not coming about from ignorance. Since you're fully endowed with all, all these qualities in, in fullness. And if you think about these, it's not only in fullness, fullness it's in fullness beyond our comprehension. Adoksija. Adoksija means our material senses, Atashri Krishna Namadi Nabavedgramindriya. Our material senses can't even conceive of these the unlimited magnitude of these qualities that the Supreme Lord has. I mean it's I mean we can hear about a form of the Supreme Lord lying in a causal ocean with universes coming from his pores. But can we conceive of the magnitude of such a form of the Lord? Unlimited universes coming from his pores and we can't even conceive of the magnitude of the one universe that we're in, truly. We can't even conceive of the nature of that universe when we hear it in Scripture that, well, there's the universe, and then it's like a little, it's, it's, it's like a little seed with all these different wrappers around it. And each wrapper is ten times thicker than the other, and they're unf—I mean, unf so the universe inside this is like a pinprick, and then you have all this other material elements around it. We can't even conceive of that. What to speak of conceive of the body of the Lord, where billions—well, uncountable, sahasra, uncountable universes are coming from these pores. Beauty? I mean, we're talking about his strength. We're talking about the magnitude of his, of his form in the form of Karna Dakshai Vishnu. We have no conception of that. How can we conceive of how strong this individual is? That all that can, it's just his perspiration. <laughs> if all the universal manifestation is the perspiration of God, what is God? And we, we think uh, wealth, strength, fame, beauty, knowledge, renunciation, unlimitedly, inconceivable, beyond comprehension, a job. We, our phenomenal experience can't put us in a mind frame to, to even, well, it's overwhelming. 
overwhelming, over, overwhelming to the point that if you even smelled the fragrance of the Lord, you'd faint. And you'd wake up and faint again and again. That's the way Vishwanath talks about it. To see him, the beauty, I mean, your hair stand on end, you lose all composure due to weakness. You, So that's what we're talking about. And, and this personality is going to be affected by something in one of those little universes when he comes into it and does some Leela for our benefit? No, it's not conceivable to us. But it's understandable by the devotees. And that's what we're coming to here. Vishwanath continues. Krishna. He likes to talk on Krishna's behalf in his commentaries. So if you ever have an opportunity in your life to enter into the Vishwanath Chakravarti's commentaries on the Bhagavatam and read them six or eight or twelve times in your lifetime, do that. Because they're they're quite exciting. He does have seem to have some intimacy in knowing the mind of God. And if he doesn't, well, and I was thinking about that. I mean, how much can Vishwanath Chakravarti know the mind of just one simple devotee? How much? As much as God wants him to understand. And this is just one sadhu's perspective on one verse of what's going through God's mind. But God's mind is unlimited too. So it's just one little infinitesimal bit of the knowledge of the experience that Vishwanath's giving to us. And it's so nourishing for our spiritual lives to see through the eyes of the sadhu in such commentaries. But I have to tell you a secret. They're not giving you the full picture. But that's okay. They're giving you enough of the picture that it's going to nourish your spiritual growth. Because that's all we can do from our perspective. Now, when we've matured and Krishna gives us some some smell or some little indication, I mean, that's we're not going to be able to handle it. That's the honest to God's truth. But that's okay, too, because he'll wake you up again and then he'll make you unconscious again. He will. <laughs> that's okay. Eventually, you you will learn how to how to live within a body of complete and absolute, total, ecstatic transformation continually. We're living in a body of death here. But there is another body that's awaiting as we pursue our spiritual, the spiritual cultivation. And then we have somebody like Swami coming along and talking about, you know, how these how a cowherd boy is experiencing this, that, and another thing, and we go, wow. But we hear, and that hearing purifies us and, and, and puts us in the right perspective to move forward. Here with Jiva Goswami in my simple classes, we're trying to understand Maya, because in understanding Maya, we can have, we can develop a perspective whereby we can see it's really insignificant this Maya Shakti. It really has nothing to do with us. It really, it doesn't. We can either pursue what we really are or we can try to fix what we aren't. 
You want to fix your false ego? Let me go to a self-help class and fix my false ego. What? 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 I want to feel more compassion and more. What are you talking about? It has nothing to do with who you really are. Let me go and, and have the, you know, engage in all this mental gymnastics to try to fix something that I'm really not. Or we can enter into the mystery of what we really are and let that put us in the right frame of mind like a Sukadev, where we can walk through the world unaffected by worldly events, unaffected by where the false ego wants to take us. That's our choice. We can either feed our ego or we can try to assimilate our true ego, what we really are. Krishna asks, do I have another type of happiness and distress in me? Vishwanath, you have a host of unlimited qualities such as being controlled by Prem and being affectionate to your devotees. When your devotees, such as Prahlad, your eternal associates, such as the Pandavas or Yadavas, the numerous Sadikas and half-devotees like us Devatas, thought that was a neat little <laughs> term by Vishwanath, half-devotees, well, the Davidas, they have to involve themselves in service in the material plane. So, yeah, we're kind of like half a devotee. we got to do all this material stuff. But we're doing it on your behalf, so hopefully you'll see us as a devotee, at least a half a devotee. <laughs> Are put into difficulty by the demons. You become unhappy. When, we're put, when the devotees are put into difficulty by the demons, you become unhappy. That's not material. Indicated by your various attempts to destroy those demons. When those demons delivered from danger see you, they become happy. Like grain suffering from drought being sprinkled with a shower of nectar. Then you become astonishingly happy. This is uh, the, the rasa of uh, somebody like a Vishwanath. I mean, understanding this is this is the Lord's heart. This is this is what makes him happy and unhappy, and astonishingly happy when he can relieve the distress of his devotees in the material world by killing a demon. It's like wow. They're happier now. This is nice. I mean, he's feeling this emotion. This is not, this is, this is what somebody like a Vishwanath can reveal to us. You have spiritual happiness and distress since you are the essence of affection for devotees and are controlled by praying. However, that happiness and distress are actually spiritual happiness since they are the topmost transformations of the chit shakti belonging to praying. Then there's a little nugget in a little sentence here that is hidden 
these gems are hidden in the commentaries from time to time. Vishwanath goes on here and he says the following, The joy and grief of the gopis or sita arising from meeting and separation are the highest expression of happiness since they have the highest level of prame. Now remember, he's answering Krishna's question that he posed on Krishna's behalf at the beginning of the paragraph about, well, does this make me happy or sad? Yes, it does make you happy when you, it puts you in distress when you see your devotees in distress, even your half-devoted demigods, and it makes you happy when you relieve their distress because of praying. So you're experiencing praying. You're experiencing your Swarup Shakti. It's very nice. You're not experiencing all of it. It's what this little sentence is saying. The joy and grief of the gopis or sita arising from meeting and separation are the highest expression of happiness since they have the highest level of praying. So Vishwanath is saying, you have a level of praying, you're God, it's okay, but if you really want to know what the highest level of praying is, well, that's experienced by the gopis and Sita when they're going through meeting and separation with you. So come again as Sri Shaitanya Mahaprabhu and try to taste that praying. Having a spiritual form, he goes on, you have spiritual happiness and distress. So he doesn't take us into this mystery any more than that. It's just like this hidden sentence in there. Just, okay, can you get this? This is not a contradiction with your nature as Atmarama, since being Atmarama and experiencing spiritual happiness and distress are one in you. Then Vishwanath quotes a, a verse from the 11th canto. Spoken. But I am not defined in this way by some philosophers. Not everybody's seeing this the way that it's been presented here. You are the Supreme Lord, Isvare, and thus those who are under your control are not qualified to define you, since your glories cannot be understood by persons devoid of bhakti. You yourself say, Bhaktiaham ekayagraha, I am only realized by bhakti. Again, another indication given here that the full understanding of these mysteries can't be understood by those who are under your control. It can only, well, the converse to that has to be what? The only people that can understand these things fully are the ones that control you. So it's, it's a mystery. Who's going to be able to unravel a mystery like this unless you have the association of devotees of this caliber 
Devotees of this caliber, Vishwanath speaks in another commentary at the beginning of the Bhagavatam about, about this hearing. In, in, his re, in his commentary to the verse, uh, Prasanga, uh, I can't think of the verse right off the top of my head, but the verse about hearing from the realized souls. So in commenting on that verse, Vishwanath reveals something very interesting. Hearing from the realized devotees, he says there, will, will allow you to advance quickly. And then he spells out the stages from Anarthanivriti to Nista to Ruchi to Asakti to Bhava to Prem. They will quickly pull you up through these stages of advancing devotional practice. Hearing from the mediocre devotees is Bhajana Kriya. It's Bhajan. It's okay. But hearing from the topmost devotees has this power to pull you and allow you to advance in devotional practice. It's an indication. Always, when available, hear from the best. Hear, hear from, from that quality of a devotee who, who nourishes your spiritual growth. Vishwanath continues. Again, he speaks for Krishna. They raise many objections, those that I'm not controlled by, those that I control. They raise many objections to your claim that my six great qualities and prame are spiritual, Vishwanath says. You are invisible to the arguments of those who stubbornly hold various philosophies which always remain in their hearts, which are confused by scriptures and without touching the real truth. Vikalpa takes the form. It may be like this or like this. Viktarka means uncertain conjecture. Is that correct, perhaps? Vichara means certainty. It is like this. Pramanabhas means malicious arguments. If there is no contradiction, how can argumentation be absent? I'm sorry, if there's no conclusion, how can argumentation be absent? The Lord is devoid of all material objects. Such arguments are a product of Maya Shakti and you are beyond all objects made of Maya. How is it possible to use such arguments? It goes on here, the commentary. It comes to a conclusion because the Lord, again, Vishwanath, on the part of the Lord, raised another objection. Well, are there two of me? Are there two? Let us dispose of the argument that I have inconceivable powers. One can say that I have two forms with two sets of qualities. In the form of Bhagavan, I have happiness and distress arising from affection to my devotees, and in the form of Brahman, I am situated everywhere as Atmarama. So he's speaking on Krishna's behalf. I, I, I must have two forms then. One for the devotees and one for those that don't, don't have that mentality. Vishwanath responds, you do not have two forms. 
<laughs> you have only one form, which is Bhagavan. That form is realized as Brahman with no qualities and as Bhagavan with astonishing qualities. The jnanis who are at a distance and cannot perceive your astonishing qualities call you Brahman. The devotees who are situated near you and can perceive your astonishing qualities call you Bhagavan. If one is far away, one perceives a small degree of the Lord, and if one is close, one perceives all his qualities. Now we come to the next verse that Jiva Goswami, remember we're kind of in the middle of a this packed in that, so now we come to the last verse that Jiva Goswami uses as his further explanation of the fact that the Lord's potencies are inconceivable and therefore his potency allows, cannot be fully comprehended. So in taking that response by Maitreya that it's inconceivable, we've been brought to this place where Jeeva's quoted these prayers by the demigod. So these prayers end with the following. You accept the opinions of those who are peaceful because of contact with things related to Brahman, and you and are disturbed by contact with things opposed to Brahman. However, this is, opinion is like thinking of a, ro a rope as a snake. I need to read this commentary because it's it can be a little confusing what's been said here. But Vishwanath writes, but you do not defeat the opinions of the non-devotees. So, that they can accomplish their tradition of samsara. That's Vishwanath's opening sentence. You let them, let them think what they want about you. Let them come up with whatever argument, whatever logic, whatever spiritual interpretation, whatever scriptural, uh, scriptural reference they want to come up with to support their opinion that's that's okay you don't you allow you allow that go you want to be in samsara and you don't want to enter into the mystery of my appearance and activities well your miseries of material existence you could end just by a little surrender and submissive hearing tadvidi pranipatena pariprashnena sevaya just Acquire from somebody who knows about me. And samsara will end. You don't want to do that? Okay, that's fine. Maintain your tradition of samsara. I have no objection. You have this little bit of me in you. I'm fully independent and you, well, you're thinking you're independent. Of, and that's okay. Mr. Nath continues, You accept the opinions of those who are peaceful in accepting Brahman and disturbed by anything opposing Brahman. Or you accept the opinion of those who say that Bhagavan is the Brahman with material variety, Visama, though they are actually two aspects of one form, Sama. Just as a person thinks a rope is a snake, one sees in Brahman which is actually Atmarama, false qualities like happiness and distress by the influence of Maya, 
The Lord does not oppose this. It's interesting the way this analogy is being used here by the demigods because it's being used in a in another form altogether. The other form is by using this analogy, they're saying there are those people who conceive of the Lord's involvement, his descent into material nature, and they see it as something that it's not. So they're seeing a snake where it's a rope, and in seeing the snake, they're seeing that the Lord is affected by happiness and distress on the material level. And he's not objecting. It's whatever, whatever, whatever misconception you want to apply. There are all kinds of, of spiritualists out there. So I don't think what's being spoken of here can be directly attributed to them alone. So again, this is all just an unpacking of this response by Maitreya, such as Bhagavad's extrinsic potency, Maya, which contradicts all logic. You see how how much he's unpacked this, which contradicts all logic. For due to its influence, the living entity, who by nature is a ruler and liberated, experiences impoverishment and bondage. So we'll continue in our next discussion with the a few other points that are brought up in regards to this uh, Anucheta. And then there's two more verses quoted by uh, Jiva Goswami. Two more verses from Maitreyan responding to Vidura's questions that will put to rest as comprehensively as can be imagined, these inquiries into the nature of the Lord's external energy, how it is coming from Bhagavan, it doesn't influence Bhagavan, how it is influencing us, the jiva, whereas truly we are of the nature of pure consciousness. So how is that happening? And all this is meant to allow us to enter into the mystery of inconceivability. <laughs> the Lord is the Lord's is inconceivable and his Maya Shakti is inconceivable, but Jiva's saying, but if you look at it deeply in the way that I'm presenting these Anuchetas, you're gonna understand this inconceivable nature. And therefore it's not just not just a simple response, well, you just can't understand. I'll make you understand as much as you can through these explanations. Any questions? Um, I have a question, but um, when you were talking about the astonishment uh, part, I had thought that um, wouldn't you think, even if you looked at it in the Vartavad, that it's still pretty astonishing, don't you think? That word, that's pretty astonishing that, that we would... Never mind. <laughs> oh, it's pretty astonishing when you see David 
Copperfield, I think's his name, make a Boeing 747 appear and disappear. But it would be more astonishing if you could get on the plane and fly around. So we'll accept that, yes, illusions are greatly astonishing, but more than that is living in the illusion ourselves and becoming part of it. It does become our reality. We thank you for your association. Thank you. Thank you.